Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian, for every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Good morning, church. It's great to be with you all and to see so many people in here in person. Uh, I've been gone the last two Sundays, and every time I leave on a vacation or something, I have to just miss on a Sunday morning, I get to this spot and realize... I hate missing Sunday here. And so it's so great to be with you this morning, worshiping with you and delighting in Jesus together. Uh, If I could put one word in your minds this morning as we get started with this message, it's this word, promise, promise. You and I, we all make promises, right? Some of the promises we make are small. Uh, Last week I was on vacation and so we were down by a beach warm place. I won't rub that in. Um, So we were at a warm place. There's a beach. And one of the things that I did is I took Caden, our second oldest son, and we went to the beach for uh, an evening once to watch the sunset. And of course, on the way to the beach, there's a mini donut stand, which I can never turn that down. So we grabbed some mini donuts, watched the sunset, have this awesome one-on-one time, father-son. And then you know how this works, parents, like those of you that have multiple children, Like the second you get home, like the fairness flag gets thrown out, like the fairness police have come out and like kids are like the masters of like what's fair and what's not fair. And I think they all like, were probably in a room conspiring together on this from the beginning. But you know, you can't take one kid and do that and what the other kids going, but I should, where are my donuts and where's my sunset and where's my dad time? So of course I, I looked them in the eyes and I promised them that by the time we finish vacation, all of them will go to the beach, watch the sunset, mini donuts, the whole thing. I got four rounds of mini donuts, but so, so, so some promises are smaller and easier, right, to keep. Um, some of the promises we make are, are big. Um, it's about 14 years ago, a little over 14 years ago, I stood on a stage with about 300 friends and family and looked into Stacy's eyes and said, I, I promise to be a faithful husband to you to love you 
and lay my life down for you just as Christ laid down his life for the church. I will protect you and provide for you as his new creation. To you alone do I give my eyes and my body until death parts us or the Lord returns. Right, so some of the promises we make are small, some of them are, are bigger. As we open up to Isaiah 9, though, what we're going to see here is we're going to see God make a promise. And then what's beautiful here is this is 700 years before there's a baby in the manger. God is like pointing the bat out into the center field stands and is calling his shot. It's remarkable. And, and the promise itself is amazing but it's the time, it's the moment in time into which God makes this promise that is so, so shocking. So what I want to do is just pull back a little bit the context of what's happening around chapter 9 so you understand the moment and why this is so shocking. So verse 1 starts this way. It says this, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land. I want to just unpack a little bit the gloom of the distressed land. If you want to go back to Exodus, right, you, you remember that scene, right, where Moses leads God's people out of slavery and brings them into the promised land. Now, sometime after that, the people of God get in fights, things happen, right, and there becomes two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is Israel, the southern kingdom is Judah. And if you want to kind of follow the whole, like, social media craze that's going on right now of, like, how it started, like, how it's going, like the how it started picture is like, it's just a hot mess. Like, like the whole thing, like that the relationship with God thing is just a hot mess. And God's faithful, but they're just unfaithful. It's how it works. But like the how it's going, let me just read a couple of verses for you to give you like a picture of like how it's going. As Isaiah writes about like the Northern Kingdom and just gives us a little bit of a, a taste into this moment. This is just the two verses prior to chapter nine, verse one. Isaiah 8, 21 says this, they will wander through the land dejected and hungry. And when they are famished, they will become enraged and look upward. They will curse their God and their king. And they'll look toward earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction. And they will be driven into thick darkness. If you want to understand even more like the, the word gloom here, maybe read like 2 Kings 15, it's verse 29 that talks about how God at this moment will use the Assyrians who will come in, capture the northern kingdom, and will begin deporting God's people back to Assyria. When I talk about gloom, like that's, that's the moment that they're in. And I think it's, it's helpful for us to understand this because you have to know this, that the promises that God is making here in chapter nine are not being made to like good, clean people. These are promises being made to rebellious, evil people who are currently under discipline. And it's important for us to catch that because there's a big difference between promises made when like you're on a wedding day and everybody looks good and, and things are going well and promises made in the midst of unfaithfulness and brokenness. There's a big difference between promises in one setting and another setting. And I think this is a good moment just to highlight, guys, one of the primary messages of Christmas, like something that just needs to be resonating in your heart and soul this Christmas season, is that, guys, God could have, he could have just thrown his hands up and just been like, I am done with you people. But the message of Christmas is this. God didn't walk away from broken people but he pursued them. 
God could have walked away from an unfaithful people, but he pursued them. He didn't demand first that they clean up their act and get it all together. We weren't even asking for him to do anything. (laughs) But while we were still sinners, God promised and sent Jesus to pursue a broken people. If there's a message of Christmas you need to just continue to have over and over in your mind, when you see a baby in a manger, it's a reminder, God pursues broken people. And 2020 has been like an awful year for like everybody. Like I get that. But maybe if like this year in particular, it's just been a really rough year for you. And maybe even you've done some things over the past year you're not particularly proud of. And you find yourself this morning distant from God and feeling like there's a, there's a gap between you and him. Please take comfort in this to know that God pursues broken people. He's not just looking for the clean ones. There were any but he pursues broken people. It's the first thing we need to take from this text. But as God pursues, he makes promises. And over the next five verses, I wanna highlight some of these promises that God makes here. So we'll pick back up verse one. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times. So now already he's gonna start prophesying. He's gonna be speaking of like the current moment as like former, and he's gonna start moving into the future. The gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea into the land east of the Jordan and to Galilee of the nations. The first thing that God promises to do is to replace gloom with honor, or some translations say glory. The first thing that God promises is that he'll replace gloom with glory. Because here's what he's gonna do. That same territory those northern lands of Nephtali and Zebulun where Galilee sits, that right now is in this moment, and Isaiah as it sits under shame, the first being hauled off in captivity, I'm gonna replace that gloom with glory because it's gonna be from those lands that the promised hope is gonna come. Matthew 4 says this, when he, that being Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of God has come near. The same lands, I will replace gloom with glory. But there's more. Verse 2 of Isaiah 9 says this, that the people walking in darkness, right? This was mentioned again in Matthew 4, that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned in those living in the land of darkness. Not only does God promise to replace gloom with glory, he promises to replace darkness with light. Now, often when we think about light, we think about the ability to see, especially when we see a phrase like people walking in a land of darkness, we like connect that phrase to the, the, the experience that we've all had, right? Where you're walking through your basement and it's just pitch black and you're doing this whole thing, right? You know, and then you never get quite low enough because you always stub your toe. Like the coffee table moves, it like jumps at you and it always happens. Like, 
and you're just wishing that there could be just enough light off like the DVD player or something like that to like, illuminate the room, but it never, never happens. Like when we think about light, we often think about that picture. But that's not actually the picture that he's trying to put in our minds. Go back to Matthew 4. Light and darkness isn't so much synonymous with like the ability to see, but darkness is synonymous with death. Matthew 4, 16 said this, remember this? I just read it. That the people who live in darkness have seen a great light for those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. What he's trying to connect is the word darkness and death. As it should catch our attention and maybe I'm nervous just a bit, that if God could pick any word to describe the world that we live in, like the world that we cling to and we like clamor for its affections and, and success within it, like the world that we love so much, if God could have one word to describe it, the word that he seems to pick more often than anything else in the Bible is darkness. The world we live in, the way that he defines it is dark or just full of death. It's why God is so passionate, this is Colossians 1, to rescue us and transfer us from the domain of darkness, the, the, the domain, the dominion where Satan rules and reigns to transfer us from the domain of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. That's Colossians 1.14. And if we have eyes to see it, this is one of the great things that we did over our vacation is I, I love, especially when you're, when you're like near a beach, I always tell this like to my family. It's like, you know, like, like the sage wisdom of the father, right? Coming in, I'm like, I think the best way to spend a day if you're by a beach is to be there from sunrise and then to be there when the sun sets. I don't have to be there all day, but like just to be there for those key moments. What I love about the sunrise is when my kids and I would walk the beach and sunrise, you know, first light would be about 6.15, sunrise is about 6.45. We'd walk the beach, we'd be picking up shells and we'd just begin to see the sun coming up over the horizon that just pause for a bit with my boys and help them understand as every day there's an opportunity to see the gospel on display. Since the first day of creation, when God said, let there be light, there's been an opportunity, just this gentle nudge that hits us every day and that if we have eyes to see, we can see it as every day we watch the sun come up and we see light overcome darkness. Every day, God has written the gospel into the story of creation itself and how the earth even moves. Every day is an opportunity to see the gospel on full display, light overcoming darkness. And it's just so beautiful to be there walking the beach, watching that unfold. The sunsets are pretty, but what an awesome display, light overcoming darkness. It's promises of God, but he goes on. Verse two says, I'll read it again. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned in those living in the land of darkness. Then verse three says, you have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. And the people rejoice before you as they rejoice in harvest time, as they rejoice when dividing spoils. Not only will God replace gloom with glory and darkness with light, but he's also gonna replace sorrow with joy. That as this light shines, it's not just going to have impact on these northern lands of Zebulun and Naphtali, 
but it's beginning to impact more and more people. The nation's going to become enlarged as more and more people are impacted by the light that has dawned. And the, the light, as it engages more lives and changes more lives, what it's going to do is it's going to bring joy, joy like. And he just comes up with a couple comparisons. It's, it's joy like, like joy at harvest time. Joy like, like the, the time when like your stomach is full, the bins are full, and you can just rest and celebrate God's provided for us once again. Right? We're, we're Iowans, right? We, we understand harvest joy. All the toiling, all of that, like, as much as we contribute to it, we know at the end of the day, we can't make anything grow up, sprout, or bear fruit. <laughs> so when all of a sudden it ends up in our bins and we've been taken care of for a year, we look at it all and we go, God, thank you. It's like that type of joy. It's like the type of joy that you have when the war is finally over and there's been victory and you're able to divide up the spoils. There's, there's this prosperity, there's this peace, there's, there's the joy of just finality, it's, it's done. These promises go on though. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian. God also promises to replace oppression with freedom. I couldn't read verse four without thinking about Jesus's call in Matthew 11. Remember this? Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, all of you that sit under that oppressive yoke, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just like God did when he delivered his people of the oppression of the Midianites in Judges 6 and 7 through the sword of Gideon, God promises to end all oppression and replace it with freedom. His promises go on though, verse 5. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. Could you imagine the ability to take any boots, any clothes that have been stained by war. Take even the weapons of it and just throw it in the fire because they're not needed anymore. Because what God also promises is to replace war with peace. Guys, if I could use like one word to maybe like poke at what I think is just like the greatest longing of every human heart isn't like what's at the core of everything that we long for, just that word, peace. Like the ability to just sit down and to not think of another project, not have a concern come to mind, not look out in the world and see injustices and whatever, but to just have peace. One of the stories that, that came to mind as I was just reflecting on this promise of peace is I thought of when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, right? And he's riding on the back of a donkey and people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the, the words there, that the Hosanna means save us. And what they were hoping for was that Jesus was gonna ride into Jerusalem and, and overthrow the oppressive Roman government, the, the evil powers that be, and finally provide 
the freedom that they were longing for, the peace that they were longing for, where they could establish their own country and their own government, and they could, they could have a country that was built on their own values and practices, and it would just finally bring peace to them. And you remember in Luke 19, that as they're shouting Hosanna, Jesus looks at Jerusalem and just begins to weep. It's a pretty captivating moment. But he just begins to weep. And then he utters these words. Oh, Jerusalem. If only today you knew what would bring you peace. Because the peace that you're longing for isn't some peace within your country. It's not a peace between you and your children that might be rebellious. Or kids, it's, it's peace with you and a parent that didn't treat you right. Or even peace with yourself. The peace that you hunger for isn't any of those things. The peace that you long for is peace with God. That all those years of rebellion and all those years of fighting and the clothes that are stained with just the blood of splatterings everywhere, that you can just burn it because it's just, it's done. And now you've received a peace from God that surpasses all understanding and it defines everything else. But this, this is the mess that Jesus steps into. He doesn't step in at the end of the story. He steps into the start of the story. When Jesus steps into the world on the first Christmas, he steps into a world defined by gloom, darkness, sorrow, oppression, and war. And isn't that where he finds each of us? When Jesus finds us, he finds us in a place of gloom, darkness, sorrow, oppression, and war. And what he promises here, and then it's a very broken circumstances, what he speaks in, in Isaiah 9, 700 years before there's a baby in a manger, what he promises is that he's going to one day replace gloom with glory, darkness with light, sorrow with joy, oppression with freedom, war with peace. That was a promise for them, and it was a promise for you. promises of hope. Now the question comes up, how? <laughs> how? I mean, if you're working through Isaiah 9, one verse at a time, now you got to go like, how is God going to do that? Promised hope comes by a promised child. Verse 6 says this, for a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. It's in Luke 2 when the, the angels proclaim over the shepherds. It's got a, some of the, the echoes of this promise in it when they say, today in the city of David, a Savior's been born for us, right? So you can hear echoes of verse 6 and that declaration in Luke 2, 11. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us. Verse 6 continues, and the government will be on his shoulders, and some of you that are like, dude, I know it's Advent, but it's still November of an election year. Can we stop talking about politics? I'm sick of politics. Pause for just a second, like stay with me. Because what he's talking about here is that the government will be on his shoulders, meaning that God will defeat our enemies and establish a new government where the promised child will be the leader. And now the question is, okay, we see how God is going to deliver on these promises. 
but he's going to establish a new government. And, and what type of leader will this child be? And he's given four names because one name isn't enough. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. What type of leader will he be like? He's the leader that we've always longed for to see on the ballot. To be characterized by the things that we've always longed for in leaders, but you're never going to find it in any human leader. But the child of promise that will come and bring the promised hope, these will be his four names. And they'll be well-earned. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Let me just walk through each of these and just unpack these just a bit. Because I think they actually like build as you walk through them. When we're talking about Jesus as a wonderful counselor, put this phrase that he's infinitely wise. He's a counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. He's infinitely wise. Mighty God, that Jesus is infinitely strong. Not only is he infinitely wise, but he's infinitely strong. And then this third one that just brings it kind of together even more, he's an eternal father that he's infinitely caring. It might be weird for you to think about Jesus as father, right? Because so often you're like, like God is father, Jesus is the son. But it's very clear that there are ways in which Jesus is like a father to us. And this passage highlights that, but he's infinitely wise. He's infinitely strong. He's infinitely caring, which means he is able to bring an infinite peace. It's a prince of peace. He's able, because he's all of those things, to bring an infinite peace. God promises hope. A promised hope that will be brought by a promised child who is bringing for us a promised home. Let's read verse 7. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. And he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to sustain it. There will not be a square inch of this promised home where Jesus is the leader, where there is not righteousness and justice at every corner because Jesus is king. And with justice and righteousness now, on, and forever, the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. He will, he will do this. He will bring this promised home and establish this new kingdom with a government where Jesus is the king. He will establish all of it without even breaking a sweat. And so, this is like your simple like Christmas theology lesson. Maybe you weren't ready for this today, but like if you're taking notes, like this would be like a good thing just to, to write out. Just a simple Christmas theology lesson. The first advent brought a promised hope. When we talk about advent, it means arrival. The first arrival of Christ brought the promised hope. The first advent brought a promised hope. The second advent will bring a promised hope home. And we sit between those things. 
the promised hope of verses one through five, we're experiencing that. And we see the kingdom of God moving invisibly through the hearts and lives of people who are submitting themselves to the Lordship of Christ, but we don't yet fully realize it all. And we're awaiting Jesus to come back and establish a kingdom where he will rule and reign forever. And we'll be with him forever and ever. And so what's the point of Advent? Maybe this will be like a massive mind shift for you, but the point of Advent is not to prepare our hearts for Jesus's first coming as a child. The whole point of Advent is to prepare our hearts for the arrival of Jesus' second coming as King. And I would ask you this morning, what is your posture as Christmas approaches? There's a beautiful picture of this that unfolded in our household this week because I've got a four-year-old daughter, which I had no idea four-year-old could be this dramatic, you know? And so four-year-old daughter, very dramatic. Um, she has one present under the tree and she has already lost her mind. Caden bought it for her. And this is beautiful because she's not in this service. I couldn't say this in the last service because she was there, but I'll tell you what we got her, what Caden got her. It's really cool. It's just, it's a, it's a Barbie, but it's like a nurse Barbie. And so it had like, like, a nurse Barbie with like two babies that she's taking care of, like probably working in like the baby birth wing, you know, like the whole thing. I'm like, this is awesome. So Caden picked it out for her and it's wrapped up, it's under the tree, but guys, shh, you can't tell her no matter how much she begs or pleads with you. Because I'm telling you, since the moment we brought it home, she chased the van because she knew that Caden had gone out with me to buy the gift. So she chased the van to the driveway and Caden grabbed it quick and sprinted in the house, locked the door and Stacy wrapped it within like the first minute of it being in our house. And the next scene I saw was Bailey laying next to it under the tree, like picking at it. And she's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open it now. I, I, I want to open it now. And I'm like, you can't, you, ha you have to wait till Christmas. So no joke, on that day, she asked me four times, is it Christmas yet? Which I thought was hilarious. Like, it's like the, the last hour didn't change anything. It's not Christmas yet. And we got this awesome little thing in our, in our house that like it's a 25 day countdown where like the star moves as you get closer to Christmas. The beauty of it is I've like pointed her to that, like that helps the countdown. She's already figured out though. She didn't even get to move the first one. Like the star doesn't even get to go in the first spot. It is just killing her. It's killing her. And the statement she said the other day is like, I can't wait. I would ask you, is that the posture that you have when you think about Jesus coming with a promised home for us? Because I think sometimes, honestly, if we're being transparent, we're more excited and anxious for Christmas than we are for our promised home. And the excitement of the holiday season is all geared up toward that day where we get to open up presents and eat food together and, and delight and fellowship together. And it's just an exciting and fun day. But guys, that, that whole, all of this is meant to only point us to a day which will be even better where the gifts that are given are even greater and the fellowship that we have is even greater and the joy that's to be had is even greater. What is your posture this morning? If you could take up just a little bit of the posture of my four-year-old in that silly little present 
And let these verses just stir your affections in a fresh way that you'd be like her. And not only would we say Merry Christmas to each other, but in our hearts and right on the, the tail end of those words, also declare, come Lord Jesus, come. Let me pray. Yeah, Jesus, we, we love you. And we plead for you to come soon. God, we thank you so much for your promises kept that guarantee then the promises to come. There's a confidence within us having seen your promises kept that makes us confident of the promised home that you who cannot lie will deliver and fulfill everything that you've promised us. And so God, we thank you not only for our promised hope, but for our promised home. And I pray today for our posture, for our affections to be whipped into a frenzy that I cannot wait to be with you, Jesus, forever. At peace in the light, full of joy, no more gloom, only glory, delighting in all that you have done in pursuing a broken person and a broken people. God, thank you for your promises and the hope that we have today. We love you. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.